And unless we're brought to our knees and make a no mistake right now, listen, we are not waiting for the judgment of God. Like, oh, someday if we don't get things right, God's judgment is going to fall someday. Listen, the the axe has already fallen. The judgment of God is already here on us right now as a nation. The fact that we see all of this kind of activity, this kind of chaos is is only an example of the fact that the judgment of God is here. And the only thing that's going to change that is God changing hearts. God making us teachable. There's a reason why the churches are empty. There's a reason why so many churches that still exist are no longer preaching the gospel. They are mocking the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, they are mocking the name of Jesus Christ by their absence of sound doctrine. In other words, there are thousands of churches across our United States that are mocking the name of Jesus because they refuse to preach what he actually said. And the second they would open a Bible and actually begin to teach the things that Jesus said, there would be jeering, there would be mocking, and there would be a mass exodus. Things are very scary right now. And there's, uh, there's a sense, believers see this going on, uh, but it's not new. In fact, it's uh, incredible how clear the text of scripture that we're in, in Mark chapter 15. The crucifixion of Christ centers on mocking. It's amazing how many uh, things are said about Jesus being mocked on his way to his crucifixion at his trial. Even on the cross, he was mocked. The scripture doesn't actually tell us about uh, the crucifixion itself in great detail. It doesn't lay out all of the scientific or medical terminology that happens, as we saw last week, of somebody being crucified. But it does talk about the fact that Jesus Christ, the innocent one, was mocked. And he was mocked over and over And over again, in fact, the focus of the text that we're in, there's a a focus on mocking, making fun of him. How tragic is this? The innocent one, the king of glory, the only good man who has ever lived, the only truly good man who has ever lived, because there's none righteous, Romans chapter 3 says, there's none good, there's none that seek after that which is good or that which is righteous. There's no one good. This whole idea of there are good people in this world and there are bad people is, uh, is bad teaching. The only kind of people there are in this world are people who are precious and made in the image of God, but are fallen people. People who are in sin, people who are not good, but have corrupt, sinful, wayward hearts. And of course, there's all levels of that. And we thank God for the common grace of God that restrains so much of our evil and the sin of our heart. But there was only one good one. And so he comes in and he is, um, he comes into this world and he is mocked. He is made fun of. He is scorned. He is laughed at. Psalm chapter 22, verse uh, 7 says this, All who see me mock. All. All who see me mock. That is, they scorn, they, they laugh, they, um, they deride him. 
All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They're unreasonable. As Christ is going on uh, the way to uh, Golgotha, as he is on the road to his crucifixion, people are making mouths at him. What What does that mean? That means that they're spewing hatred, genuine hatred, real hatred. We hear a lot about that today. Oh, hate speech is this and hate speech is that. This is real hate speech. You want to know what hate speech is? It's reviling the king of glory. It's saying that Jesus Christ is not the only way and not the truth and not the life. That is true contempt. I recently uh, saw an interview. It's amazing how enamored Oprah is with talking with spiritual leaders, spiritual gurus. The question she always goes to, and it's demonic because she doesn't know the Lord. The question she always loves to ask is, But are there ways outside of Christ uh, to know God? Can you have a relationship with God uh, outside of Jesus? I mean, there are so many different religions and so many different ways. Surely Jesus is a way. Listen, that that is a nice way of mocking the Lord. That is hate speech. See, we have we have all sorts of um, we have all sorts of different issues. The truth has has been has been twisted about what right speaking is, what true mockery is. The enemy comes in like a serpent and he deceives people. Recently, I was at a um, piano recital with my kids, and at the end, Ariel had written a song entitled "Beautiful Ending." It's a beautiful song. And she played it, and at the end of the uh, recital, a lady comes up to her. And Crystal and I were off to the side. We just saw this lady speaking with her. And later on, Ariel comes up to us and says, hey, that's a professor at a local college. And she really uh, enjoyed the song. And by the way, you could even sense the spirit of, of the Lord there. She liked the song and wanted to know if I would play it in a documentary that she is doing. Um, about uh, different uh, different groups in which there are uh, uh, there, there are a bigoted things said about them, uh, uh, groups that have uh, been mocked and, and not treated correctly. So I'm listening to this. I'm thinking, well, okay, uh, this sounds okay. Uh, groups that have been marginalized. So I said, but I, I'd like to speak with her. So uh, she calls me up, the professor calls me up, and she says, hi, I'm a, uh, a clinical psychologist. I'm a professor of psychology at such and such a college. Really uh, thought uh, your daughter's song was great, was wondering if she'd be interested in playing uh, music uh, for, uh, for this documentary, a series of documentaries I'm doing with, uh, with groups that have not been treated so well. And uh, right now we're dealing with, uh, with uh, uh, people who have mental issues and um, uh, those who have been marginalized because of uh, mental uh, problems. And she said, you know, it's interesting. She said you can have uh, um, somebody who has a hurt hand or a hurt foot and people go, well, that's, that's pretty normal. But somebody has a hurt mind, uh, for some reason there's a stigma that comes with that. And so they're, they're not treated in the same way. And I said, you know what, that's absolutely true. And uh, I said, there, there are people who are, for some reason, think that if, if, uh, if somebody has a heart condition, that that's different than a mind condition. Like the mind can't be broken, but the mind can be broken. And so sometimes there does come a, 
a certain way of looking at a person, a cer- certain stereotype of uh, how people are, are looked at uh, because of that. And I said, in fact, we've dealt with, with that uh, issue in our church. And um, we have uh, precious people have dealt with these issues. And so uh, we thank the Lord for his grace that he can use them as, as models of what Christ can do uh, in, in their lives. But I said, I want to ask you a question. Are any of the groups that you're uh, dealing with LGBT groups? In other words, are you concerned, uh, you have this uh, group of uh, mentally ill people uh, that are, you're, you're dealing with, but I want to know, are you, are you dealing with, uh, with what we see in society of uh, what people would, would regard as uh, hate speech and so on for, for um, uh, gays and, and lesbians and so on? And she said, no, actually, we haven't done that, but we're open to it. And she said, in fact, in this documentary, I have the story of a gay person and a transgender person who are going to be giving their story and how they haven't been treated correctly. Well, red flags are going up in my spirit because we, uh, we thank the Lord for people who struggle with all sorts of different issues. In fact, there are probably people even in this congregation who, who struggle with homosexual uh, lust, um, homosexual desires. Listen, we love those people in Jesus' name. But people who struggle with heterosexual lust, we love them also in Jesus' name. And we don't say, well, that's okay. It's just normal part of life. We say that's called sin. It's sin. And so we're not, if, if, if there's a stereotype that says we just hate these people and we're mad at these people and we're not going to treat them right, of course that's wrong. But if all of a sudden Christians are going to be said to have hate speech because we take a stand with Jesus Christ and we say that these activities, these behaviors, and even the lust itself, Jesus says, is sin, all of a sudden people go, oh, wait a second, hold on. That's hate speech. Now we have, we have a decision to make. Either we are going to stand with Jesus And we're going to say, Jesus, we stand with you. The world mocks you and the world hates you and they treat you with contempt. Or we're going to say, we're going to stand with the world and go along with their definitions. I went on to ask her, I said, "Um, are um, are you by any chance doing a documentary for the group called The Unborn? The lives of uh, those who have never been born. Talk about a group that's not being treated very well. She said, oh, no, 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 no plans for that. Wanted to ask her, but uh, didn't ask her this. How about the group called the Christians that has been persecuted for 2,000 years and has loved their enemies? And has stood for the truth. She saw immediately where this conversation was going. And she said, you know what, um, perhaps this isn't going to be uh, the biggest or the best uh, fit. And she said, I don't want to pressure you or your daughter. By the way, that's why we have fathers. That's why we have fathers. Uh, to protect wives and to protect children, uh, to, to be able to say, wait a second, this might sound good and it might look good, but it's not good. And so the question is, 
Who are we going to stand with? Because what Jesus is emphasizing here in these Gospels over and over again is mockery of the truth. That's what should arrest our attention. Yes, the bleeding should get us, and it should turn our stomachs, and we should say, Lord, thank you for the fact that you physically suffered and died for us. Lord, we thank you for that. We can't even imagine being laid down and nailed to a cross after being beaten, beaten until your back was showing and uh, your skin was ripped apart. Lord, we thank you for that. But what should also amaze us is when we think about the mental torment that Christ, the innocent one, endured as he was being mocked upon that tree as person after person was coming uh, to him and reviling him and mocking him. That, that should really get our, our hearts. This is why it says, uh, Psalm 22, verse 7, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. Job chapter 16, verse 10 says, men have uh, gaped at me with their mouth. They have struck me insolently insolently on the cheek. They massed themselves together against me. Look with me at Psalm chapter 35. Psalm chapter Psalm chapter 35. Psalm chapter 35. Verse 19, Psalm chapter 35, verse 19. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. You know that sense of somebody just getting the biggest kick out of mocking the truth, laughing at it, uh, enjoying the fact that that person's not going to be heard. Let not those who wink with the eye, who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land. So here's this twisting. Those who are quiet in the land, those who are praying, Lord, help us to live godly, dignified lives. We want to just mind our own business. Uh, We want to live lives that are godly before you. They're not the ones stirring up trouble. But these deceitful people are, these mocking people are. And there's this twisting of saying, you're the troublemaker. Remember uh, Jezebel and uh, uh, looking at uh, looking at uh, Elijah, saying, "You're the troublemaker." You have Ahab and uh, Jezebel. Who's who's the problem here? The problem is not them. The problem is the innocent party. And that's Elijah. He's the one supposedly stirring up things. It's so backwards. It's so twisted. Those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, they're laughing. Our eyes have have seen it. So the mocking here is uh, with Christ. It's over and over again. The mocking of Christ is continual. Drip, 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 mocking, mocking. Everybody is mocking him. So it's continual and it's comprehensive. It's widespread. Group after group, person after person is mocking him. Uh, these, uh, these taunts are the echoes of hell. All rationality is, is gone. 
The scene here is unruly. It is wild. It is evil. The atmosphere around the, around the cross and on the road to the cross is terrifying. And it was depressing. Terrifying and depressing. And Jesus had predicted that this would happen. He is the sovereign one. It seems that things are out of control, but really our Lord is in complete control of the situation, even though it doesn't seem like it. So at the moment when all hell is literally breaking loose, this is, uh, this is the power of darkness's hour. Behold, the power of darkness's hour has arrived. And it seems like nothing is going right. Because it isn't. And from a human perspective, Jesus is being mocked. And it's awful. It's depressing. If you ever get around a group of people that are just out of control, mocking somebody, it's terrifying. This is a terrifying thing for somebody of common sense, for somebody who has been graced by the Lord to want quiet and to want peace. This is a terrifying atmosphere. But Jesus had predicted this. He said in Mark chapter 10, if you go back with me to Mark chapter 10, Mark, uh, Mark chapter 10, Jesus is the one who says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 34. And they will mock him. Jesus predicting his death, and they will spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So now if you go over to Mark chapter 15, Jesus is finally at the point where now he has been crucified. And Pilate is sticking it to the Jews. He's also sticking it to Jesus. As Jesus is um, crucified, this cross beam, and then you have a vertical beam that is going straight up, and above this was hung a sign. So there Jesus is stretched out on the cross. He doesn't look good. In fact, he has been beaten beyond recognition. People are making fun of him. The atmosphere is one of torment. And Pilate decides to hang a sign over Christ. And it says this in verse 26 of Mark 15. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. Here's your king. He couldn't stand. Pilate couldn't stand the the Jewish people. So he he was in a way mocking them. He was also mocking Christ. Here's a king. When a royal king, a majestic king, a king of your nation, a king of the Jews, here's the king, the king that is hanging on the cross. Look how powerful he looks. Look how wonderful he looks. Here is the king. He's had this uh, soldier's garment had been draped uh, upon his shoulders and the crown of thorns had been pressed down on his head. They were mocking him. They were making fun of him. And of course, Pilate was making fun of the Jews as well. If you go over to uh, John chapter 19, John chapter 19, get a little bit more detail here about what is, what is going on here with Christ. John uh, chapter 19, 
verse 19. By the way, this would have probably been like a white placard with either black or red letters that were written on this. And Pilate also wrote, verse 19 of John 19, John 19, 19, uh, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. And so we can get this from the Gospels that the the full inscription would have said, uh, this is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus had come from Nazareth. The king of the Jews. Complete, uh, Complete scorn, there's complete contempt here. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. Now, it was outside of the gate, but it was near the city. And it was written in three different languages. It was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. Now, the chief priests don't like this. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. They hate Jesus. These religious leaders cannot stand him. And so they go to Pilate and they say, listen, this isn't our king. We're the one who's come to you. We wanted to see this guy die. And we're so thankful that he is on the cross. After all, they had been chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And so they come to Pilate and they say, uh, verse 21, so the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, But rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. In other words, don't say this is the king of the Jews. Just say he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. He was uh, fulfilling prophecy. Of course, Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews. He's the king of the universe. In fact, it was uh, Jesus who talked about a kingdom. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. There was a a sense where the kingdom of God had come, and yet the kingdom of God was still coming. The kingdom of God was already, and yet the kingdom of God was still not yet. But Jesus was very clear that uh, there was a kingdom. In fact, he preached about the kingdom. If you go over to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. says this, Matthew 4. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. Here it is. For the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. Look with me at verse 23. And he went through all, throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the what? Of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus was a kingdom preacher. He was talking about this kingdom that uh, he was inaugurating, that he was bringing in. When we think about a king and a kingdom, we think about a rule and a reign So Jesus says, here comes the kingdom. This is interesting. He preaches this over and over again. The gospel of the kingdom. Well, with any kingdom, uh, we need to have a king. It was clear who the king was. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 49. 
John chapter 1. Verse 49, John 1. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the what? You are the king of Israel. He recognized who he was. You are the king. So Jesus was preaching a kingdom, and he was also preaching the fact that he was the king. You say, when did Jesus ever say that he was the king? Look with me at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew chapter... 25 verse 31 says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his what? On his glorious throne. This sounds like a king. Look with me at verse 34. Then the king, who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself. He's saying that he is the king. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, come. You who are blessed by my Father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then jump down to verse 40. And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus was about instituting a kingdom, but it wasn't a kingdom that would come and go. Thank the Lord he didn't just say, I'm here for this century. Just now, none of us would exist. He was here to establish an everlasting kingdom. Listen, the second we die, the second we die, we open up our eyes and we are in the glorious kingdom with the Lord forever. That's, that's awesome. This is not, we just go to church. Listen, everybody in this room is going to die. Unless the Lord comes back, every person here is going to die. Recently, I was at a viewing with uh, Crystal and Lydia. And we were looking over the casket of this precious lady who was, uh, who was uh, a, just a sweet lady that Crystal knew. Who, she worked at Turkey Hill. Precious lady. I didn't know her. I think I'd seen her before, but I, I didn't know her. Of course, we met the son, and he was from Columbus, Ohio, and a big Ohio State fan, huh? How's that? That was, that was, that was worth me just going just to talk to him, I'll tell you. It's awesome. Thank you. Lord. I realize why I'm here. But that I was praying. I was praying yesterday and today. Oh, God, open up our eyes to see this stuff is real. You're going to die someday, and it's not just going to the ground stuff. And so the kingdom that Jesus was establishing, he's saying, you want to be a citizen? You want to be a citizen? You want to be a citizen? This isn't a faux kingdom. This isn't a fake kingdom. It's just that this kingdom is going to take years to build. He's, uh, He's enlisting citizens. And as much as I want the Lord to come back right now, 
If he doesn't come back, think of all the generations that come after us that get to experience the king's glory. And aren't you thankful that he stayed on that cross so that he could establish that the center of the kingdom was centered on the fact that Christ was crucified and Christ rose again from the dead. We died with Christ. Our sin has been nailed to the to the cross. And because Christ is risen from the dead, you and I are going to be made alive and we're going to live too forever in a real kingdom. I can barely wait to get there. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So he's establishing this kingdom, but it's confusing people. It doesn't look like a kingdom. He doesn't have a military. He's telling Peter to put his sword away. It doesn't seem like the kind of kingdom that would threaten anyone. In fact, Pilate seems baffled and even afraid. Christ is this mystical and authoritative figure. Who is this? There's mockery of him. Different kind of kingdom, but it's a real kingdom. Luke uh, chapter, uh, uh, go with me to uh, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Luke chapter 17. Jesus is asked about this kingdom because they're confused. They're hearing kingdom talk. Jesus has even said he's the king and people have recognized that he's the king. In John chapter 6, it even says they wanted to set him up to be the king. But there's confusion. What kind of of kingdom is this? Verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them saying, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. It's not coming like the the kind of kingdom you guys are thinking about. Horses and uh, tanks and bombs and planes. Nor nor will they say, look, here it is, or therefore, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The rule and the reign of Christ is him saving person after person, picking them off. Wherever this gospel is preached, it's amazing. Wherever this gospel is preached, Christ was crucified. Christ was buried. Christ rose again from the dead. Wherever this gospel is preached, the kingdom of God expands. As the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ is brought into effect, as people bow the knee before the Lord, and they say, yes, Lord, I recognize that you're the king. You're the king. You take everything. That's how you know the kingdom of God has come among you. When people are bowing their knees and their hearts are being softened and their hearts are being changed and their eyes are opened, faith is not just an intellectual exercise. Listen, we've said this a thousand times. Faith is seizing the seen savior. That's what faith is. It's the eyes of our hearts being opened to who Christ is, and we seize him by faith. Jesus says, you must eat my flesh, drink my blood. What was he saying? Is he saying that we're a bunch of cannibals? No, no. He's, he's, he's saying, by faith, you take me and you, ah, ah, teeth into that. That's what he's saying. By faith, you seize me. There's so many people going around, yes, I believe in this. Yes, I believe in that. But their heart's never been changed. And so Jesus is saying, here, you want the kingdom of God to look like this. But 
the kingdom of God looks like this. It looks like the gradual changing of people's hearts and people coming to Christ down through the centuries and multiplying citizens of every tribe and every nation and every tongue and every community. He's bringing us together as citizens of the kingdom. So he is a king. So Pilate puts him up on this cross and puts this placard above his head. Verse 27 of Mark 15. And they crucified with him two robbers. Uh, The word robber here really, it'd be better translated revolutionary or insurrectionist. These were people who were going against the government. Perhaps they were even the guys with Barabbas. See, Barabbas is free. He's like, okay, see you guys later. And his two buddies, perhaps, crucified on either side of Christ. Look at verse 32. It says, those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Listen, everybody is mocking Christ. Can you imagine that? You're dying? And as they are dying on the cross with him, they are sitting there or uh, hanging there, mocking our Lord. It's interesting, though, one of, one of their hearts changed at some point, because if you go over to Luke again, Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, verse 39, Luke 23, verse 39. So these criminals are hanging there with Christ on crosses. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. If you're the Lord, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Christ, why don't you do something about us? That'd be pretty cool. You've raised the dead, you've healed the sick, you've opened up blind eyes, you've done all sorts of different things. Surely you could take yourself off the cross, and surely you could get us off the cross as well. The other one must have been mocking, but notice what happens in verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now listen, this is, this is what it looks like to have the eyes of faith. Notice what he says. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your what? Your kingdom. This man recognized he was the king. See, that's what faith is. Mocking Jesus, mocking Jesus, Holy Spirit challenges this man's heart. He's beginning to think, I'm here for what I've done wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. And all of a sudden, the voice of the other mocker is beginning to irritate him. And he's beginning to think, why are you mocking him? We're we're up here for what we have done wrong and we deserve this. This man's done nothing wrong. But then with his dying hours, he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, Jesus did not say to him, now listen, um, you coming into the kingdom is going to be a long time from now because what actually happens is there's this thing called soul sleep and you're going to die and you're going to go into the ground like an animal. You're going to lay there for a long time, totally unconscious and not knowing anything. But at some point, hopefully I'll come back and I'll bring you into the kingdom. That's not what Jesus said. So this man has faith. He says, uh, 
I, I believe. I believe you're the king, and I believe you have a kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now notice what Jesus says to him, verse 43. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. So here's this man, he's uh, sinned a lot. But at his uh, last moments in life, I mean, somebody can get saved at the very end of their life? Oh yeah, that's how gracious our Lord is. You, what do you mean about, you mean like pr- people in prison done all sorts of evil things and all sorts of wrong things? Those bad people over there, because we're so good, right? We're so good in, in the church. We've got it all together in the church. Those people, you mean, they, well, that's just kind of like a lifeline thrown to them. They're just desperate. That's why they all meet Jesus in prison. Really? Maybe it's God has brought them to a place of desperation and they've been blessed to see, to see the fact that they are sinners. That's what this man saw. I'm a sinner. I'm deserve, I deserve what I get. But I recognize Jesus is the king and I am crying out to him from my heart for salvation. Listen, the second somebody does that from the heart, it doesn't matter the words. It doesn't matter if they say, well, I remember the prayer. If they just say, Jesus, help the second somebody does that with, uh, with faith, with eyes that go, he is the king. And then the kingdom of God, he brings joy and peace. And you can just see this man as soon as Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that looked like the second after they both died? Freedom. It was from mocking and reviling the king of glory to to being saved. Now notice with me, and we got to close with this. Let's go back to Mark chapter 15. So the criminals are mocking him. Verse 29, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, think Psalm 22, we read that earlier. You would, who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Listen, if Christ would have come down from the cross, he couldn't have saved any of us. It was the fact that he stayed on the cross. In that song, How Deep the Father's Love, it says this, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. You hear your mocking voice? Calling out among the scoffers. Christ, if you could, if you could uh, just come on down off the cross, you've saved others. Ha, ha, ha. Why don't you save yourself? Verse 31, he's mocked by criminals. He's mocked by bystanders and passerbys in 29 and 30. Verse 31 and 32, he's now mocked again by the religious authorities. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. We'll believe if you come off the cross. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Kingdoms come. Kingdoms go. Christ was building a lasting kingdom. With everlasting citizens. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Amen? Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me as we close? If I could have the... Band, come up, please. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are standing here and you've come in today and you don't know Christ, you've, maybe you've, uh, you've gone to church, perhaps. Perhaps you haven't gone to church at all. And the fact that you've ignored God, you have sinned against him by ignoring him, not believing in him. Thinking, oh, all that stuff is just for old women and fairy tales. That's what church is for. But you've come in today and your heart has been challenged. And you have seen for not the second, third time, for, for the first time that you need Christ. You don't want to go to hell. Listen, hell, we talked about the echoes of hell and the tormenting voices of those who were tearing Christ apart with their mouths. You've seen Christ as the king. And today you say, I want the king. I want to know the king. I, I want to be forgiven by the king, pardoned by the king. Is that you? Would you raise your hand? I need Christ today for the first time. For the first time. Is there one here today? For the first time. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that we sense here today. We thank you, Lord, that you have changed us from mocking scoffers to people who have been transferred from that kingdom of darkness, that realm of darkness, that domain of darkness into the kingdom of your precious son, King Jesus. And someday he is going to come and he is going to rule this world with justice and with peace from sea to shining sea. This whole world will be covered with the glory of the Lord. And you're going to transform this universe and all of the citizens in this universe will know King Jesus. And we look forward to that day. We thank you, Lord, that the kingdom came, but the kingdom is still coming. Lord, I thank you especially today for our ladies who are pregnant. Lord, who sit here and it's not easy. And I pray, Lord, over even these babies. We pray over this baby and uh, child this coming week that we're going to be dedicating. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, that this would be a place where the little ones come to receive King Jesus. Oh, we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said.